1: Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms.
2: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring?
1: Well, look no further
2: and join me, Katie Charles, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight,
1: and, of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your
2: podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, the Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
0: Let me just start by addressing this whole Chernobyl versus Chernobyl uh, raging issue. (laughs) There was a thread on the Freaks page, wasn't it cute how Jethro pronounced Chernobyl? Let me explain why I did that before you think I'm just a friggin' idiot, okay? (laughs) A number of years ago, I was asked to record the audio for a report about the disaster at Chernobyl, which is how I pronounced it. And they kept sending it back to me saying, No, no, you need to pronounce it Chernobyl. Chernobyl is just the way that Americans say it.
2: Right. It's burrito versus burrito.
0: Okay, so I recut it and I sent it and you know, everything was 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 fine. And years went by and every time I would hear somebody say Chernobyl, in my mind I would laugh, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> Come to find out I'm the idiot. Um, Ever since then, I've called it Chernobyl, but it's actually kind of a hybrid of Chernobyl and Chernobyl. The Ukrainian pronunciation is like... Something like, Chernobyl, or I don't know. Anyway, so that's the story behind that. <laughs> Apparently, uh, I've been really smug for a number of years for no reason at all. No,
2: it's fine. You know, it happens. <laughs>
0: Plus, I've been really distracted because I can't get the lyrics from Hamilton out of my head.
2: Oh my gosh, it's infectious. I
0: woke up this morning, oui, oui, mon ami, je m'appelle Lafayette. The Lancelot of the revolutionary set. Like that, every morning. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no. Every morning I wake up with a different song from the Hamilton soundtrack in my head.
0: What is it right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: da 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 Yeah.
0: It's been haunting us for days. Fuck you, Hamilton. For being so awesome. You go first, my love. Oh, okay. What you got for me?
2: I want to tell you about athlete Joanna Quass. She was born in...
0: Hoenn Wait a minute. 1925. That wasn't your voice.
2: Um, I'm not having with this mispronouncing thing anymore. All I'm right. just going to get other people to record audio <laughs> for me and I'm just going to insert it and we'll all pretend like it's just me saying
0: it. Is that our live show road manager, Amber?
2: It is. It yeah. is. Uh, which, by the way, it's her birthday today Aww. and she's a treasure and it's almost like she's a gift to all of us on her birthday.
3: Aww.
0: It's amazing.
2: Anyway, um, so. So you'll be hearing
0: her voice every time th- that name comes. Up.
2: No, the yes, the place of yeah. where Joanna was born, though I only say it once.
0: So that's it. That's it. Okay, good enough.
2: Probably a lot of other words I should have had her record, <laughs> but I didn't. All right, so Joanna began practicing gymnastics when she was nine. She appeared in her first gymnastics competition in 1934. In 1945, she finished her job. Dra- in did, 19- did
0: you just mispronounce the word job? Yup.
2: Yeah. In 1945, she finished her job training as gymnastics coach, and she moved to Weissenfels, where she started to train for handball. So after World War II, when then East Germany discouraged individual sports, they promoted team sports instead. So, in fact, gymnastics was banned by the Allied Control Council. Hmm. Side note, this was not the first time gymnastics was banned in Germany. Frederick Ludwig Jean was born in 1778. He was called the father of gymnastics. He invented the parallel bars, the rings, the balance beam, the horse, and the horizontal bar, which became standard equipment for gymnastics. Mm -hmm. So he also supported a liberal, free-thinking German society, and in the political reactionary climate of 1819, he became under suspicion for his outspoken views and strong influence on youth. So government arrested him, closed his gymnastics club and imprisoned him for almost a year. And because the politics and the sport were so intertwined, they actually banned gymnastics.
0: That's insane.
2: The ban was revoked in 1842. But uh, then again, after uh, World War II, uh, because the, again, the British, American and French believed that education could be used to promote democracy in Germany. And because the physical education and sporting was so much a part of that strong Nazi influence during the Third Reich again sports they felt had to be kind of rebuilt from the ground up so between 1945 and 1950 in germany the whole system of sporting was rebuilt joanna actually became very successful with handball winning the eastern german championship in 1954
0: <laughs> i don't i, I don't know eastern german handball championship it just it's my new
2: twitter bio yeah (laughs) it
0: struck me as funny in
2: 1950 she started to study at university and afterwards she trained coaches and co-authored a gymnastics textbook in 1963 Joanna got married to fellow gymnast coach Gerhard Kwas, and they had three daughters. Now, at that time, she was pretty unable to commit herself to sport because of her responsibilities as a wife and a mother. However, after her kids got grown, she still had this passion for physical activity, and gymnastics was legal now. So, uh, (laughs) hey, why not return to the sport in 1982, When she was 57. Oh,
0: shut up. That's amazing. I wonder what it was like, though, during the time that gymnastics was illegal. Like, you'd be out on the street and somebody would be like, hey, you want to buy a pommel horse?
2: (laughs) I think that illegal is a tough term to use because, from my understanding, you were still allowed to, like, practice and learn, but there were no, like, competitions. I see. So she's 57, and she's re-entering the gymnastics world. So Right away, she started entering gymnastics competitions. She had committed her life to, to fitness and being a well-balanced in her diet and exercise. She was always into hiking and things like that. So, so she
0: was still physically she fit. She was still fit. She was not the type of 57-year-old woman you would often find at, like, I don't know, an RV resort in Florida.
2: So she's entering in these gymnastics competitions and... She also worked with a gymnast who competed in the 1964 Summer Olympics. So she had a good base for success. She worked in gymnastics. She and her husband were both coaches. Uh, She had good connections. Shortly after her return to gymnastics, she went on to win the Seven Turn und Sportfest der in Leipzig. Leipzig.
0: Where's Amber when you need her? God dang
2: it. She talked in an interview about her proudest moment in gymnastics. It was in 2009. She was 84 years old and she was competing in this championship and there was no one in her age group.
0: Wait, wait, wait. She was talking, she was 84 and she was competing or she was 84 and she was talking about She was
2: competing at the age of 84. Holy shit. And there was no one else in her age group. So they put her (laughs) in the lower bracket Uh with the 70 to 75-year-old age group. And she still won (laughs) by a point.
0: (laughs) That's incredible.
2: (laughs) By 2012, Joanna had won at the German Senior Championship an unprecedented 11 times. Unreal. April 12th, 2012. Joanna goes to Italy and performs, and her world record was certified by Guinness. She is the oldest gymnast in the world.
0: At what age was she when this took place? 86. 86 years old.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. It was
2: also that year, 2012, when she really rose to prominence. Several YouTube video clips showed her training at the age of 86. And the clips became instant viral hits. They generated uh, 4 million views apiece. Sure. She's incredible to watch. And most of the time she'll wear her signature dark green crushed velvet leotard. Uh-huh. And she looks amazing. But like I said... Joanna is not a one-trick pony. She likes to do all the things. Uh, in honor of the Queen's 90th birthday, Joanna uh, dedicated her skydiving trip <laughs> to the Queen. Wow. They're both 90
0: i I'm at feeling, this time. She was 90. Okay. She was 90. I am feeling... Um, she's a few
2: months younger. Uh, she's a few months older than the Queen.
0: I'm really disappointed in myself because... <laughs> I have a long way to go before I get to 90, but I still get winded taking the trash to the end of the driveway.
2: (laughs) Joanna said that the queen is someone that she's always admired. You know, they're the same age. And uh, she saw on like the intro to some Olympic event that the queen was like fake skydiving. It was like a ha ha kind of thing. Uh And so she thought, wouldn't it be a great dedication to her to say like, well, we're both 90 and I'm going to do this in your name.
0: That's pretty great. So anyway, it would have been even greater if she had taken Queen Elizabeth skydiving.
2: Tandem. Oh, that would have been so cute. I would have
0: loved that.
2: In early 2018, she participated in a gymnastics tour it took it was like the course of 3 weeks where they went to se- several cities and she performed and blew people's minds and it was the whole idea was gymnastics and sport aren't just for young people and it was all like look at this young person oh and then there's this really old person which it's got to be amazing to be the oldest gymnast in the world but also to be constantly referred to as the oldest (laughs) it's gotta be like okay yeah no that's fine okay can't i just be a good gymnast but no she's the oldest Mm -hmm. in late 2018 uh she did hurt her tendon in her bicep and that prevented her from participating in the 58th bloom festival but She didn't miss the opportunity to participate in the various workshops that they were holding, and she was interviewed and said that she could do some things better than she could, and she's feeling that her her therapy was working and doing what it needed to be doing so that she could get back to training. She's currently not training, but when asked about the 100th Jean Turnfest in 2022 in Freiburg, she got a twinkle in her eye, according to the reporter, and said, that would be great if I would be fit again and could participate in my favorite competition for the 100th anniversary. She said, my face is old, but my heart is young. Maybe the day I stop doing gymnastics is the day I die.
0: So how old would she be in 2022 if she were to compete?
2: 96. Incredible. So that's a goal, apparently. Um, And she said that she never stops working toward her goals, that being fit helps her master all the parts of her life. So it's not just about, you know, like, I got to look good, man. It's about, you know, the fact that she's (laughs) she's getting up there and where a lot of people at her age have a hard time maneuvering stairs. Yeah, she she wants to be able to do anything she wants to do, like skydive or a hike or whatever. And she it's just she's mind blowing.
0: It would be interesting to know what her um, diet and workout regimen so is.
2: So before her bicep injury, she was working out for an hour a day. She would do gymnastics training, um, but she, like I said, she also likes to do other. Physical activity mm-hmm. as her hobbies, so she hikes, and uh, she and her husband are are both very active outside of gymnastics.
0: And she must eat really well. I yes, would...
2: she says she loves a well-rounded diet uh, with lots of fruits and vegetables. She says that greens are the most important thing.
0: I really need to start focusing on that more.
2: Well, I mean, I I agree. Yeah, I I have mentioned that once or twice. Um, And I'm like, maybe cucumbers instead of Pringles today. hmm?" And you're all like, yeah, I'm going to have these salt and vinegar Pringles.
0: Last night for dinner, I had uh, an IPA and a box of (laughs) Pop-Tarts. I really need to work on my diet.
2: (laughs) But you're doing better. I mean, there are times where I'll see you put lettuce on a sandwich and (laughs) it's like... Yeah. You're doing great, sweetie. Thanks. You're doing great.
0: (laughs) See, I consider Pringles a vegetable because you would have to classify that as a vegetable. No, you wouldn't. It's made it of some sort of potato-like paste.
2: (laughs) Potato-like paste Mm -hmm. is what classifies it as a vegetable. Well, it's got the
0: word potato right in it.
2: Sure, sure. I don't think it actually does. I think they're just (laughs) called crisps or something like that. It's some sort of vague wordage Mm -hmm. that makes them uh, legally not obligated to. (laughs) Anyway. I had two cupcakes last night, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to judge. Yeah. Uh, just to get an idea of this chica and how amazing she is, which, by the way, if you Google her, you're going to find videos of her performing. It's incredible. She's so graceful and smooth, and she does things that I can't even, like, figure out in my brain. Like, how do you? Mm, um, anyway. Uh,
0: what's, her, what's her main event? What, what is she known for?
2: Uh well she does all the things. She
0: does everything. She does
2: all the things. The first thing that I saw her doing was a floor routine. Okay. But since then I've seen her on what are the bars called? She the ones that are the same height.
0: Parallel bars.
2: Cuz they're parallel?
0: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh the watching her routine on that is incredible because she like does handstands on it and does
0: she do like the balance beam you, you yeah. see the gymnast like on the balance beam and then they'll like do a back walkover and a flip off can she do that stuff
2: I I don't know what she can do currently
0: because I'm at, at the age now where I'm starting to worry I'm gonna break my hip in the shower
2: <laughs> but you can uh, like I said check out some of the videos it's incredible there's also a lot of interviews uh, with her at these events where You can just see she is a spunky, (laughs) lively, she's just a treasure, and she is a great grandmother. It's just amazing. And just to get a vibe of like, uh, you know, how old she is. (laughs) When Die Hard was released, she was 62.
0: (laughs) You're using the Die Hard scale.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, okay. What an inspiration.
2: Right? She's incredible. Anyway, I love her. Joanna quas from... Cohen Molson.
0: And now, that thing in the middle. We've all heard of Wrigley's Chewing Gum, but Wrigley's wasn't always known as a chewing gum company. In fact, it originally sold soap. But when soap sales dipped, Wrigley's decided to help bolster sales by giving away free baking powder with every soap purchase. When the baking powder became more popular than the soap, Wrigley sold baking powder instead of soap with chewing gum as a gift. The gum became more popular than the baking powder, and so the
1: Wrigley's Gum Company was born. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey there,
3: I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money.
1: This podcast is not to be used in place of a cutting board when slicing meats, cheeses, or produce, because it gets your phone all icky and stuff. This is The Box of Oddities.
0: Veronica sent us this message. Good morning, guys. Uh, I have a creepy but awesome story to share with you. Uh, And by the way, this falls into the category of the box of oddities effect.
1: Ooh!
0: My boyfriend and I are loyal freaks and listen to your podcast every time we're in the truck. We just drove 14 hours to vacation and back listening to your old episodes from the beginning of uh, 2019. As we were listening to episode 99, we were saddened to hear the part where the babies were buried without names on their tombstones Mm -hmm. in Tennessee uh, at the elmwood cemetery not even five minutes later after hearing that we passed the historic elmwood cemetery no we just knew we had to message you guys and let you know our creepy coincidence uh, have a great day and keep flying that freak flag uh, creepy coincidence or box of oddities effect that's a question that I don't think we're capable of answering in this realm of we, existence.
2: We definitely need some sort of like box of oddities effect sound effect, like oh, a stinger you're that right. that will hit get, every get the time. The curator,
0: set you. Yeah, yeah. The box of oddities effect.
2: Shoing <laughs> going.
0: Or that <laughs> from the old Scooby-Doo world. The old, well, which oh. was originally from the old Scooby-Doo t- uh, cartoon from the 70s. Oh.
2: I'm
0: afraid I'm going to bust my hip in the shower. <laughs>
2: You do good. I'm
0: going to talk a little bit about the curse of the Hope Diamond.
3: Ooh!
0: According to a recent article on Ripley's Believe It or Not, in uh, 1666, Jean-Baptiste Tavernier stole a 115.16 carat blue diamond eye from a statue of Hindu goddess Sita. That's The story, there are alternate versions that claim that uh, he actually bought it from a crooked priest who stole it out of the statue. And as you can imagine, the locals who worshipped at the temple were less than impressed. So in retaliation, they placed a curse on whoever possessed the gem. Okay. That's the story, the background story. Tavernier recorded details of the gem in his book, The Six Voyages of Jean-Baptiste, Tavernier, which came out in uh, 1678. That includes a... J.B.T. Get down with J.B.T. Yeah, you know me! Uh, The book includes detailed illustrations of the cut and the quality of the gemstone. Now, sometime between 1668 and 1669, he sold the diamond to King Louis XIV of France for about half the actual value, Uh, but he got a lot more than money in the transaction, Author Richard W. Wise notes in his book, The French Blue, Tavernier received a patent of nobility in the deal as well. Oh, wow. And um,
2: yeah. It pays to have people to have high up connections.
0: Sure. And, and plus, doing business with the king, it's good, it's good street cred.
2: And if you commit a bunch of crimes, you can get your sentence commuted.
0: And when you also consider that the state of the economy in the 17th century Europe uh, was was really in the crapper, Mm. uh, there were very few other people with the resources that could afford such an expensive item. Sure,
2: yeah. you got to keep that in mind when you're stealing something to resell is, can anyone buy this?
0: Yes. (laughs) So JBT returned to India and promptly died of a raging fever. Oh. And then to add insult to injury, wolves and wild dogs ate his corpse. Oh. Um, so that's not off to I don't a good start.
2: That's terrible because if, he, if his body was like, if he had an infection, I don't think that's good for the puppies.
0: Maybe it was just heart failure and the dogs ate him right away. So, oh, okay. So he would have been fresh. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, back to Louis XIV. After purchasing the, uh, the diamond, he hired Jean Pateau to recut the stone. In 1678, uh, that resulted in a uh, 67.125 carat jewel that, according to royal inventories, listed as the Blue Diamond of the Crown of France. So King Louis XIV had a a friend whose name was uh, Nicholas Fouquet, uh, and his buddy uh, Nicholas said, "Hey, listen, can I borrow the diamond for a special event?" So he lent the diamond to his friend, and then shortly after that, he was found guilty of embezzlement, and uh, Fourquay spent the rest of his life in prison. Then shit started to get really real for Louis XIV. Almost every legitimate child that he sired died. Oh no. And let's not forget about the king's excruciatingly painful and stinky end by uh, gangrene, in 1715, that we talked about in a previous episode, yeah. I, I won't go into that description because I promised you I would not. Thank you, Louis the 16th, and Marie Marie Antoinette eventually inherited the French blue. By 1793, their heads were in a basket, along with all but one of their children.
2: Terrible. Uh, quick question: The diamond is blue.
0: Yeah, it's it's a blue diamond.
2: I did not know this. Ah. <laughs> Googling it
0: now. Amidst the chaos of the French Revolution, the diamond disappeared. Uh, eventually, it reemerged. Mm. This time, it had been recut again, and so now it was only 45.52 carats. Um, it apparently had been recut to prevent identification, which makes sense.
2: Oh, absolutely. In
0: 1839, Henry Thomas Hope acquired the diamond and promptly named it after himself.
2: Oh. I was going to say, well, that's a coincidence, <laughs> but no. <laughs>
0: yeah. His family also complained of bad luck, and eventually it was sold to settle uh, gambling debts. After recutting the diamond again, oh
2: my goodness!
0: the Dutch jeweler Wilhelm Falls was murdered for the diamond by his own son, Hendrik. Hendrik later died by suicide. The diamond then ended up in the hands of uh, the Greek merchant Simon Maron Carides. And what happened to him was he drove off a cliff and killed himself, his wife, and his son. Oh,
2: my goodness.
0: In a horrible accident. So at this point, we're into the uh, 20th century, and famed jeweler Pierre Cartier acquired the diamond, and he quickly sold it to the American heiress Evelyn Walsh McLean, whose family owned the Washington Post. So, McLean regularly wore the (laughs) diamond and she even had a special collar for her Great Dane created so her Great Dane could could wear the diamond.
2: Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah. Almost immediately, things started to go badly. First, her mother-in-law died and then her nine-year-old son died. Then her husband left her for another woman. He became mentally ill and ended up in a uh, a mental hospital where he died. At 25, McLean's daughter died of a drug, overdo- a- a drug overdose. Mm. She then started to have serious financial issues. She was forced to sell the newspaper, the Washington Post. And Evelyn McLean died in poverty.
2: Well, I mean, she obviously made terrible financial choices. Like...
0: Buying the Hope Diamond. Buying the Hope Diamond. (laughs) (laughs) For a dog collar. Um, Harry Winston Incorporated of of New York purchased the Hope Diamond along with McLean's entire estate jewelry collection in uh, 1949. So for 10 years, the stone toured the world with other precious gems. This was known as the Court of Jewels exhibition and funds from the show went to charity. During this time, nothing bad happened.
2: Oh, that's nice. Do you, I mean, should it be considered that maybe the Hope Diamond is pissed off that it keeps <laughs> being cut down? Yeah. And it's like, I was once so beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's less than half its original size.
2: <laughs> Quit cutting me down.
0: Because of the jewel's rare and unparalleled beauty, Winston decided to donate it to the Smithsonian Institution. Oh, that's nice. So how does one transport a rare and priceless object to the Smithsonian? That's right, the U.S. mail. He mailed the gem first class for 145 in insurance and $2.44 in stamps. Uh, he insured it for a uh, million dollars. Wow. But he sent it in the mail. The package <laughs> was delivered by a mailman whose name was James Todd. Uh, soon after he delivered the package, his wife died. His leg was crushed in an industrial accident. Somebody strangled his dog.
2: Oh, no. And his
0: house burned to the ground. The Smithsonian has become the Hope Diamond's final resting place. It's one of the most famous jewels in the world. People remain intrigued by its uh, sinister reputation, but for the most part are satisfied to just walk by and look at it at the Smithsonian. The only person who owned the diamond that um, that wasn't afflicted with some sort of horrible type of end was Harry Winston Incorporated, who put the diamond out on tour and collected money for charity. Mm. And, and then
2: ended up donating it. And
0: then ended up donating it. And Cartier, Cartier profited from the curse because what he did when he sold it to McLean, he knew that McLean believed she, she was superstitious and she believed that things that were bad luck for other people was good luck for her. And so he went back and he... I
2: think you just made that up, ma'am.
0: Cartier went back and he he documented all these bad things that happened. And he's the one that's really responsible for the story of the curse. Oh. He built that story to sell the diamond to McLean.
2: That's hilarious. But
0: it doesn't take away from the fact that all that shit is true.
2: That is really upsetting, and I just don't think that I'm going to get over that someone strangled that mailman's dog.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the good news is the, uh, the, the Great Dane got to wear the diamond for a while, nothing bad happened to him.
2: That's true. Yeah. I'm sure he's still out there talking about when he used to wear that Hope Diamond.
0: I think we were going to see the Hope Diamond last time we were at the Smithsonian, but it was really hot that day, and, and I was cranky and wanted to go back to the hotel.
2: That sounds right. (laughs) Sounds about right. That could apply to any number of things.
0: (laughs) Yesterday, for example.
2: I have cramps.
0: (laughs) Anyway, next time we go to the Smithsonian, when it does open up again... I promise I will take you to see the Hope Diamond.
2: What do you mean, you'll take me? Like, I'm not a toy. I'm not a child. We will go together to see. I hate it when you say you're going to take me somewhere.
0: What I mean is that I have seen the Hope Diamond already. Uh Allow me to share that experience with you. Ugh. want to thank those of you who have left positive reviews for us on uh, iTunes or uh, Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast Himalaya. We recommend Himalaya. That's a great uh, a great app for both iPhones and Android.
2: And thank you so much to everyone who wished us a happy anniversary on Facebook. That was really nice.
0: Yeah, we didn't even know you guys remembered that we had mentioned the date cuz I don't even remember mentioning the date. <laughs> but we do appreciate it. We look forward to hanging with you guys every time we do this show, and I can't wait to see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
0: Fly
1: it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.
2: Hoenn Merson. Hoenn Merson. Hoenn Molson. Hoenn Merson. Hoenn
1: Merson.
3: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken.